With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. He is the editor of, God fucking damn it. All right, let's do it again. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the Zach Levine being named an all-star to Julius Randle being named an all-star. It's Adam Mamawala. Adam, how's it going? You love to see it, do you not? Look at our teams. We're both basically in sixth place in the East. We're a half game separated. There's like a bunch of teams all within our same realm, but we each had our, our star players Named to the All-Star team. What a fun time. It's pretty awesome. I did not see anything that Julius Randle said about it. I did see Zach Levine get surprised by his parents on a Zoom press conference, which was pretty awesome. Ah, it's funny you mention it with relatives and surprises because the Knicks surprised Julius Randle. He gave a little pregame speech about how happy he was. But during the game on the Jumbotron, they had a video of Julius Randle's mother congratulating him. And he looked up and he was very happy and smiling and very, very appreciative of this. But then on the broadcast, Clyde Frazier said, Julius's mom looking like his sister. She looks very young. So Clyde just spit in game live on the broadcast. Yeah. I'll be (laughs) honest. I do not think that Clyde has ever or will ever have trouble getting laid if that's something that he wants. He is a very, (laughs) very smooth man. Uh, It would have been extra interesting if Zach Levine's parents congratulated Julius Randle on the Jumbotron. That would have been fun. That would have been incredible. That would be very nice. We're just happy for everyone. Yeah, I'm, (laughs) I'm very happy. I'm glad they made the team. All-star stuff is always tricky. We talked about all-star selections before they were finalized on a overtime that we put at our Patreon over patreon.com slash horsehoops. The, the only thing I will say here is I'm very sad Mike Conley didn't get it. It's very disappointing. That man deserves to be an all-star at some point, and it, it, he's had too many good seasons that haven't ended in an all-star selection. It makes me very sad. Yeah, it's, it's strange when somebody is an all-star caliber player but just has never gotten there. It's like either bad luck or there's just like certain years where there's too many other people and it's kind of a crowded field but mm-hmm. uh yeah it is a bummer but hopefully that will be rectified at some point and uh i think his teammates in the league think of him that way so i i imagine that counts for something but definitely and thankfully devin booker also got into the mix as the injury replacement for anthony davis so that righted an injustice of him not getting picked initially which was very silly would you have rather seen conley uh, over booker I would have liked to have seen Conley over... It's hard because everyone's really good. I would maybe pick Zion just because he's been really good of late but had a bit of a slower start to the season. And also, I don't know, it's Zion's first year. Like, he'll get some more. Like, right. let him let him wait a bit. I don't know. Get Mike Conley in there. He's very old. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Anyway, before we can talk about more basketball stuff, we have to get prepared to do so. Our version of stretching, which we like to do in our very special area, the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Teal made my all-star ballot 
Did Teal make your all-star ballot? I voted for Teal. Teal made my all-star ballot too. And we didn't even plan this. We didn't coordinate it. It just happened that way. (laughs) You know who else was on my all-star ballot? Our patrons? Our patrons, correct. Shout out to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shubidubidu, Godzilla got busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang. He sells seashells, LeBron James, Matt Barker, NBA legend Robert Zachary, No Jazz No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kiyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Anna Bourgeli, Mitch Chrysler, Bang! Bang! And brown men can jump. Unbelievable. We have so many good patron names, but we do have a new patron name. Uh, it is a patron we referred to by their actual name last episode, Nitesh Daryanani, uh, who so kindly gave us maybe a top five. I don't want to insult anybody, Ooh. but a top five power <laughs> ranking patron name in brown men can jump. Now, for those of you who don't realize, Nitesh is referencing a film called White Men Can't Jump, which is a great <laughs> and, and very, very amusing film from the 90s. Here's the question I have for you, Shubes. Uh, I don't know that our listeners know this, but I am half brown. Uh, my dad is from India <laughs> and my mom is white. And if white men can't jump and brown men can jump, where does that leave me? I would say it either leaves you in, you can sometimes jump, or you can jump, you can jump. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm more the the latter. I can jump, fine. (laughs) I also want to give a little shout out uh, from an email that we received, and please do email us. We will uh, respond when we get a chance. So one of our younger fans, Abby, reached out to us, and Abby let us know that they are a little distraught because they are a Lakers fan, despite living in Toronto, which is interesting. Hmm. But their friend Dean needs some love and support. So this is what the email said. I just started my midterms, and I'm not super nervous, but my best friend Dean is freaking out, all caps. Also, the subject of this email said, help, which I'm not (laughs) encouraging anyone to be dramatic, but we will read an email that says help. (laughs) Dean loves your podcast, and I was wondering if you guys could maybe shout him out and tell him to chill because he's going to nail his exam. Uh, So this is us doing that. Dean, (laughs) you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Your midterms, from what I understand, are this coming Thursday and Friday, if you're listening to this at the beginning of the week when our episode comes out. Kind of interesting that Abby threw a little shade at you. Abby was like, yeah, I'm I'm not stressed at all, but my buddy Dean, Dean's a little stressed, so wish him luck. I'm fine. I don't need luck. But Dean, you're going to be fine. You're going to nail those midterms. We look forward to hearing how you do, and, uh, and best of luck to you, Dean. Mm-hmm. You know who else is going to do just fine? Uh, maybe our sponsors. Our sponsors. Our first sponsor for this episode of Horse is a new sponsor. It's Skillshare. So... 2021, an interesting year, off to a bad start in the general sense, but it doesn't have to be that way because you can make the most of this year with a meaningful membership from Skillshare. They have classes ranging in topics from photography to audio and video editing to just general organization, which I really appreciate. I have taken a time management course with Skillshare, which for me, big scatterbrain boy, is uh, really nice. I've appreciated the courses that I've taken in that area with Skillshare. We all have more time than we would like on our hands. Uh, Use that time productively. There's only so many adult coloring books one can... (laughs) Right, or if you just want to get really good at your adult coloring books, they do have illustration courses available at Skillshare. So with Skillshare, you can find inspiration in the moment and learn how to express your creativity. And as a course listener, you can get a special deal when you explore that creativity. If you go to Skillshare.com slash horse, you will get a free trial of a premium membership. Again, that URL is Skillshare.com slash horse, and you'll get a free trial of a premium membership. And you know, maybe you don't know exactly what you're
your creative style is? Well, one of their top courses that they have going on right now is called Find Your Style, Five Exercises to Unlock Your Creative Identity. So even if you don't know what your creativity could hold, there's courses for you at Skillshare. Check all of those out again with our special link, Skillshare.com slash horse, and you'll get a free trial of a premium membership. And this episode of Horse is also brought to you by BetterHelp. If there's something interfering with your happiness, whatever is going on in 2021, pick your choice. There's a million things that could be falling under that category. If you want to talk to someone about this, you could talk to a licensed professional therapist with BetterHelp. They will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist that you can start communicating with in under 48 hours. You can message them at any time. You can schedule weekly phone calls, video calls, whatever makes the most sense for you. And you'll be able to have a therapy session where you don't have to commute to it, you don't have to sit in an awkward waiting room, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselors if you need be, and it's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and they have financial aid available. Like we've said on this show many times before, mental health should be considered just like regular health. Many NBA players have talked about it. So if you need a check on your mental health, you could use BetterHelp. Hell yeah. And as a horse listener, you can go to betterhelp.com slash horse. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash horse. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional, and you will get 10% off your first month. So again, that URL is betterhelp.com slash horse, and you'll get 10% off your first month. And you can start talking with a licensed professional therapist. And thanks, BetterHelp for sponsoring the show. Absolutely. We we always vet our sponsors. Like, you're never going to hear an episode of Horse that's like, sponsored by Jewel. It's good for you. <laughs> uh, but it's it's particularly nice when we have sponsors who uh, Mike and I are, are passionate about their mission and their message. So shout out to BetterHelp. Mm-hmm. So with that complete, we can move into our first official segment of the show, which we like to call Full Core Press. Get it? Like the news? I do. Oh, nice. Very nice. So there's a, a good chunk of news here to discuss. The first of which is one that was a little bit older, but I think is very important. There are two teams in the league right now that are just sitting players because they would like to trade them. And Draymond Green spoke out about this. We'll put a link to his press conference about this on the episode page of horsehoops.com. But basically, you have the Cleveland Cavaliers wanting to trade Andre Drummond and the Detroit Pistons wanting to trade Blake Griffin, both because they want to like play their young guys more, which makes sense. But I've never really seen a team before just straight up sit a dude. Yeah. And given that Andre Drummond, who usually puts up about like 15 points and 15 rebounds, if not more, is currently uh, permanently out on the roster of my fantasy team. I took that personally. I'm taking it kind of personally and it's not helping my fantasy team at all. No, it's frustrating. And Draymond Green makes a very good point that anytime a player tries to do this on their end with the Anthony Davis situation, which was handled a little bit better than the James Harden situation, there's always so much hate brought towards the players and the organizations don't get that same treatment even though you have perfectly healthy players and i guess like it's more understandable from the team perspective because they're like trying to play the young guys but it's still not great and it feels gross to have someone on your team that you have invested a bunch of money into with a contract and then you're just not holding up your end of the deal because you want to play someone else like it feels like it shouldn't be allowed right i i think it's tricky because of the fact that if it's publicly known we are actively trying to trade this person it's also kind of hard to expect them to go out and give their best effort and as draymond alluded to with james harden a lot of people were criticizing him us included for not really trying his hardest But 
what's the middle ground? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like a lot of times in other sports as well, like in in baseball, a lot of times before the trade deadline, you'll see teams sitting a a guy for a couple games because they don't want that person to get hurt. And then their trade value doesn't exist anymore. That I understand a bit, but just sitting somebody indefinitely when they're completely healthy, uh, especially if they're willing to play. Like it's one thing if a player's like, I don't want to play, put me on the bench. But if Andre Drummond or Blake Griffin is saying, I want to be out there, they should be out there. Right. And it's also strange. There's better ways to do it. I feel like you could still be playing Andre Drummond some minutes a game, just not as many as the young guy. Like there's ways to do this in not such an upfront shitty way where you're just straight up saying like, we're going to trade Andre Drummond. So we're not playing him. The Blake Griffin one kind of makes sense because he has such an injury prone history that maybe he doesn't want to get hurt again, but Drummond's perfectly healthy. He's perfectly fine. He wants to play basketball and they're just not playing him at all. It feels like there's better solutions to this. And it's disappointing. Yeah. And and I just think so many people who are sports fans criticize players for being selfish or for being greedy. And the issue that I have with that is like, even the richest basketball players, even LeBron James, is still not as wealthy or as greedy as owners of all of these teams. Mm -hmm. So stop shitting on the players. It's really frustrating. And also, there is very little consideration for the feelings of these players. Right, right. And again, it's very easy for fans to be like, oh, well, they're millionaires. Like, what do they have to complain about? Uh, And I know I always reference baseball on a basketball podcast. The Cubs had a player this past year who the front office released in between games of a doubleheader. Woof. Like, when you're doing that kind of thing that's just actively mean, I I, I feel like teams just have to do better. And there's the same kind of vibe in the NBA where it's like these people are treated as property. It's kind of gross sometimes. Yeah, and Draymond Green brought that up in his press conference speech. He said, you've got to consider the mental health. How could that affect someone's mental health where you have a job that you think you're very good at and then someone tells you, you you can't do your job, even though you're good at it. I mean, like, Andre Drummond's not the greatest basketball player out there, but, like, the Cavs traded for him, and then now cut to a year later, and they're actively just sitting him because they don't see him as a part of the future. I don't know. It feels like there's better ways to do it. I would hope that whenever the next player bargaining with the owners for the collective bargaining agreement happens, they can find a solution to this because this just feels gross. So we'll see how it develops. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're jumping around a little bit, but we actually got a, uh, a question through our website about a player who is uh, now going to be playing for a different team after a very long stretch in another city. And I want to direct this question towards you, Shubes, because you follow the WNBA more actively than I do. Uh, but we did get a message from a, a young fan of ours, Ramona. Shout out to Ramona. Ramona is a fan of the LA Sparks, and Ramona wanted to know how you felt about Candace Parker no longer being on the Sparks and now playing for the Chicago Sky after 13 years in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean... It's very strange to see because Candace Parker and the Sparks just have become synonymous. It's it's just always what that is. You see the same person in the same jersey for 13 years. It's weird to see them on a different team. But from a basketball perspective, the Chicago Sky are a very good team. So her late in her career joining a very good team to try to get more championships makes sense. You've got Diamond to Shields on the Sky. You've got Quigley on the Sky. Like they've got some really solid players over there. So I get it from that perspective. And then also I would have to look at bit more into it, but I know that there was some tricky stuff between Candace Parker and the Sparks. I don't think it was this past season, but the season before when they lost in the playoffs, it was really weird. I know Derek Fisher was the coach at that time. I don't know if he still is, but like Derek Fisher sucks and (laughs) he like didn't play Candace Parker a lot during the playoffs. There was this weird situation where the starters were on the bench and they were losing and he tried to justify that he felt like the bench 
was going to be better. I don't know. You have Candace Parker on your team. I don't get how you don't play Candace Parker in a playoff game. So maybe that bad blood just kind of kept coming through. And it, it also just could be that she didn't really see as bright of a future with the current Sparks roster. She wants to contend and compete. And she went to a very good team and maybe one that will appreciate her more than than the current people at the Sparks were. So I'd have to do a little more looking into the exact drama of the situation. But I do know there was a bit of butting heads, at least in that one playoff series. And I don't know, maybe she just didn't feel appreciated. And the other thing that's cool, and this is what I was telling Ramona, is that Candace Parker actually grew up up in the Chicago area. So she grew up in Naperville. Oh, that could also totally be a factor. Yeah, it's a homecoming in the same way that like Dwayne Wade played for the Bulls for that small stretch of time. And yeah, so Candace Parker grew up in Naperville, which is not far from where I grew up in Aurora. It's like a, a suburb of Chicago and grew up at like a huge Chicago sports fan, huge Bulls fan. So I imagine for her, that's really cool. I'm sure uh, she has family in the area that will now be able to watch her in person more readily once that's allowed. And hopefully by the time the WNBA is playing games that will be easier to pull off. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where it's kind of jarring to see somebody who you're so used to seeing in a particular uniform in a different one. Um, but you know, hopefully she gets more minutes there. Hopefully it's it's kind of a cool end to her career if this is where it ends. Obviously she's played 13 years, so yeah. theoretically she's probably winding down here. Um, but yeah, that's that's the answer to your question, Ramona. And and I know you mentioned you were having a shitty week. And uh, I hope a little shout out on, on Horse Hoops uh, makes your week less shitty. A shout out to remove the shit. Hooray. <laughs> uh, going back to teams being shitty, though, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves recently fired their coach, Ryan Saunders, which understandable given that the Wolves were the worst team in the league at the time this happened and they still are right now, but not super understandable because Carl Anthony Towns missed most of the season. And then once he got back, D'Angelo Russell had to get knee surgery. He's been out. So they haven't really had their team together, but I uh, like that, that firing the coach is fine. I don't think he's this top tier coach that felt like you got to keep him around. But what was not very nice is that like 20 minutes after firing the guy, it was announced that they were hiring someone else. They hired Chris Finch, an assistant coach on the Raptors. Chris Finch, a legitimately good coach. I think he used to coach the Nuggets, and he was a big factor in making their offense more centered around Nikola Jokic, and then he was working for the Raptors. So to bring him in as the head coach for the Timberwolves roster makes sense in that they've got a big man, Carl Anthony Towns, that they like to operate through. But just the practice of firing a guy and then like 20 minutes later hiring, like, I wonder if they had this in place beforehand. Like, hopefully this is just an optics thing that looks worse. I would hope and pray that this wasn't like a huge surprise to Ryan Saunders. It came out of nowhere, but I don't trust that that's the case at all. Yeah, I mean, because usually what you have is like an interim coach for a period of time mm -hmm. while that team is looking for a new coach. I, I understand that it does make sense to have somebody lined up, but it does feel kind of like you just got broken up with and then your ex has a new boyfriend or girlfriend like immediately and you're like oh so you definitely weren't thinking about that before right yeah it's uh, it, it just feels bad obviously we don't have a peek behind exactly how it went down but it, it just feels like a not nice way to handle it and if you knew you were going to try to move on from ryan saunders the nice thing to do would have been to fire him right then have an interim coach. You could have Pablo Prigioni, Nick's legend, assistant coach on the Timberwolves, be the interim head coach and then hire this other coach. It just feels 
gross. It's true, but I will say uh, I actually watched a full Timberwolves game last night because the Bulls play the Timberwolves uh, and they do play hard and I, and I I didn't see them play earlier this year so I don't really know what the difference is, but they they push the Bulls to overtime and again, the Bulls are not an elite team, but they have actually been playing very well and after the game, they interviewed Zach Levine who had an unbelievable game, 35 points on 14 of 20 from the field. He just was fantastic last night. On fire. Yeah, and he actually mentioned Ryan Saunders and was like, the Timberwolves are playing hard, but like I was sad to see Ryan Saunders let go because I really enjoyed playing for him. So yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately in sports, it's always the coach or the manager or the person in charge who takes the fall for a team not playing well. And sometimes it is that person's fault and sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. But usually that's the person whose head ends up rolling, which may or may not be fair. Mm-hmm. So the final thing in Full Court Press I want to talk about is a little more lighthearted. It's an interesting trend I have noticed on Twitter recently, specifically with Shams Charania, a guy who is very similar to Woj in that he tweets out scoops, announcing trades or big news in the NBA, like these hirings and firings. But the way that these Twitter accounts operate is they get inside information from different people that either work for the teams or that represent players, like their agents. And a way that they get these scoops is by fostering a good relationship with the agents. And for example, one way that that can manifest is by tweeting out nice things about an agent's player. And in the past week, there were two tweets that Shams did that were very obvious. First, before Zach Levine was named an all-star, he just out of the blue tweeted about Zach Levine being good at basketball. He said, Zach Levine in Bulls' last game, this is on February 20th, he tweeted this, in Bulls' last game before coaches' all-star voting is due on Monday. 38 points, 3 assists, 15 of 20 shooting, a win. He's averaged 33.1 points, 5.7 rebounds, and 5 assists in the last 10 games, which is like a very small sample size. But then he ends the tweet with, The game has slowed down for the 25-year-old Levine. You know, just casually reminding everyone what age Zach Levine is. You know, to be fair, though, I always do think that Levine must be older because I feel like he's been around for so long. Like, Levine is somebody who came into the league so young that, you know, in the same way as like an Anthony Edwards or something, in a few years, we're gonna be like, oh, this dude's only 22 still. Exactly. So I definitely understand that thought. But also, the only reason you would be tweeting out someone's age is to make him look good for... Teams that might want to trade for Zach Levine, person who is okay with being traded right now. So uh, (laughs) that felt very interesting. But then the other instance that I noticed of this trend was the Lakers recently waived Quinn Cook, a guard on their team. They did this to make more space so that they could get some buyout market guys or make some trades at the trade deadline. And Quinn Cook just wasn't playing that much on the Lakers. He is like a nice guy and people do enjoy him in the locker room and stuff. But Shams let out three full tweets about how good Quinn Cook is at basketball. Quinn Cook, whose career numbers are 6.4 points, 1.7 rebounds, and 1.6 assists per game. And this season, he's averaging a barn-burning 2.1 points per game, 0.3 rebounds per game, and 0.3 assists per game. So Quinn Cook just lighting the world on fire. I mean, (laughs) sounds like a good pickup for Yarj Parrott, if I'm being honest. (laughs) But he says... The Lakers are waving guard Quinn Cook, sources tell me. Teams are expected to express interest in Cook, who has served as a reliable guard and locker room voice for two title teams in LA and Golden State. Cook is in his fifth season and is a career 40.73 point shooter, including averaging 9.5 points and 2.4 assists in 2017-2018 for Golden State. This gives the Lakers two open roster spots. The Lakers valued Cook, but because of their hard cap status, this gives the franchise flexibility to play the buyout market. They will be a compelling destination for prospective buyout players. I just How many like, tweets is that? <laughs> that's three full tweets about Quinn Cook. 
<laughs> like, and I know that this is legit because I replied to this tweet and I said, wow, Quinn Cook's agent has his claws deep into you, Shams. Three tweets about Quinn Cook and an agent who I will remain unnamed, but a verified Twitter user who is an NBA agent DM'd me with a screenshot of my tweet and then said, lol. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, appreciate the validation from unnamed NBA agent source that hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, with all due respect to Quinn Cook, if there are tweets that are longer than your Wikipedia page, maybe someone's going a little overboard. <laughs> like, he's good, and I get it, but like three tweets about him. Yeah, it's just, it's excessive. Oy, oy. So, uh, yeah, that's going to wrap up Full Core Press. Can I like the news? I do. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. Okay, Adam, we can now move on to our very special three on three draft, which I'm very excited about, and I'm sure you're mildly excited about, because... <laughs> I'm less the, excited about it. <laughs> the Knicks... I got screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Polly Burridge, we put stakes on the second matchup between the Knicks and the Bulls, and the Knicks won, and because the Knicks won and your Bulls lost, you will be sharing three embarrassing stories about your basketball career. I will be sharing three bragging moments that I feel very happy about of my basketball career. But to make things nice and even, we will be posting a audio five-on-five five to our Patreon at patreon.com slash horse hoops, where we will be flipping the script and I will be sharing two embarrassing basketball stories and Adam will get to stunt on two stories. So it will all be balanced, but only if you support us on Patreon. <laughs> yeah. And to really sweeten the deal, uh, we have been updating a lot of stuff on Patreon. We've got some cool stuff coming up, mm -hmm. uh, including some additional audio five on fives, not only for this three on three, but also for previous episodes, including Sue Bird's greatest moments and our most treasured basketball related items. Uh, I recently put up the expanded five on five for our last episode where I talk about Stacey Kingisms, and I had a truly wonderful time uh, just taking a trip down memory lane and also including some incredible video clips that I highly recommend. So uh, mm -hmm. check us out on Patreon. Yes. Yeah, so check out that Patreon, patreon.com slash source hoops. But Adam, uh, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? <laughs> uh, we, we should end on a positive, which would be a, a happy moment. So I'll go gotcha. first with my third most embarrassing moment. All right. So this one is extremely specific, but it's a memory that is seared into my brain because I was a very sensitive child. and hated, oh, no. <laughs> I hated disappointing people or being yelled at. I literally once cried as a kindergartner because my teacher said my last name in a stern way. Oh, that was it. Okay. She just said my full name and I burst into tears because I was talking or doing something wrong. So I've gotten better with age, but I'm still a fairly sensitive fella. Anyway, in fifth grade, I made a traveling basketball team in New Jersey, and it was, to that point in my life, my single greatest accomplishment. I was obsessed with basketball at that time. I was like the kid in my driveway shooting for four hours a day, and it was a really exciting thing, and we were a very good team, and as a result, I didn't get a lot of playing time. <laughs> now, it's not that I wasn't good. I was a solid player, but like to reference our last episode, I, I was the I was the Brian Scalabrini of my team. Let's put it that way. I, I, was, I get it. I was I gotcha. good enough to be there, but I was mainly the victory cigar if my team was up by a lot towards the end of the game. That was exactly me and my first travel baseball team. Same situation. Exactly. I would get in at like the eighth inning if we were winning by a lot or losing by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. So one time I actually did get to go into the game in the second quarter, which was rare for me. And anytime I got minutes, I wanted to do everything I could in that limited amount of time to impress the coach so that I could play more. Sometimes, however, I got a little overzealous and playing that way gets you in trouble. And on this particular occasion, the other team was about to get the ball with a few seconds left in the half and there was a timeout before the play. And our coach explicitly told us, whatever you do, do not commit a foul if they shoot a three. <laughs> and again, we're 10-year-olds, we're so like nobody's making threes at this point. You can see where this is going. <laughs> the other team inbounds the ball and... 
trying to impress my coach, I get overly aggressive defending a kid who shoots a half court three and I foul him. And it was one of those times where I could just feel my stomach like creeping up to my throat. Mm. And my coach was none too pleased. uh, And it certainly did not help my case to get more minutes on that traveling basketball team. Oh, man. Brutal. I also have been in that same position basketball wise when I made the seventh grade team in middle school. There's so much pressure anytime you're on to perform well. It just compounds it. It makes it so much worse. Yeah, it's the equivalent. uh, (laughs) This is going to be the 30th baseball reference of this basketball (laughs) podcast. But like if you're a veteran and your only role is pin hitting, that means you get one at bat in the game. And if every time you get that one at bat, you don't do well, you're just going to get fewer and fewer at bats and you can never really get into a rhythm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. The rhythm is a huge thing. So I, I feel your pain there. Uh, Anyway, happy moment for Mike Schubert. So when I was in college at Rice, we had a residential college system, kind of like a Harry Potter house. Some schools do this where instead of having a Greek life, you get automatically randomly sorted into, at Rice at least, it was one of 11, I think, or 10? Was there a hat involved? or There's not a hat involved. You just get a letter in the mail, a regular one, not sent by an owl, (laughs) sent by a USPS worker. Although, would I be wrong that the mascot of Rice is the owls? It is. So I guess in theory, you do tell technically get a letter from an owl. (laughs) Nice. So you just get assigned to a residential college. And I really appreciated that as someone that would have died in Greek life. I would have been terrible for me. I would have not have wanted to do that at all. But one of the fun things about the residential college system at Rice is each residential college had a team and then you would all play each other. So I was on Hansen's basketball team. And specifically, in addition to having an overall team, there was also just a freshman team for basketball. And there's a regular season and then there's playoffs and all that stuff. And our team was pretty solid. We had a good lineup of a guy who was on the track team, me, this girl Priyanka, who was like a stud athlete. And then my buddy Chet, who's just like very tall, not necessarily great at basketball, but very tall. And we played a team in the semifinals that had like incredible guys, like three guys that were on the club basketball team were on it. And we somehow upset them, mainly thanks to my buddy Chet just being perfectly annoying for their very tall player on their team. It was just one of those, whatever Chet did just rubbed this guy the wrong way and he was able to succeed. But we ended up winning the next game against uh, Will Rice, which is one of the, the colleges I was less fond of. So that made it extra sweet. But we won the freshman year tournament. I was very excited about it. We were all very happy, partied afterwards. And I do remember specifically from that game, knowing that one of the point guards on Will Rice was like afraid of pressure. So that was one of my earliest instances of being annoying Draymond Green type where I saw that and I capitalized on that moment. And I was very much a jerk. I was like, this guy just wants to pass. He's afraid to dribble. Like I was, it was the, it was the birth of me being a a jerk on the court, but we won by a lot. So it was nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, My second most embarrassing moment. This one goes out to loyal horse hoops listener, Deb Mamawala, my mom. Deb! uh, Who had to put up with my angsty bullshit when I was a youth. (laughs) Here's the the thing. When you grow up in suburban Chicago in the 90s watching arguably the best basketball team in the history of basketball, you get a little spoiled. And as a result, during the historic 1995-1996 season in which the Bulls went a ridiculous 72-10, and I was accustomed to them winning pretty much every game that I watched. So if my memory serves correctly, I was watching a Bulls-Nuggets game on February 4th, 1996, and it just struck me that that was literally 25 years ago. (laughs) Um, 
Now, at the time, the Bulls were 41 and 3. Cheapers. Let me repeat that. The Bulls' record was 41 and 3 to start the season. Pretty good. Pretty good. Not bad. Not bad. The Nuggets were a bad team. They finished the season 35 and 47, but the Bulls just didn't have it this particular night and ended up losing 105 to 99, at which point, eight year old me, uh, who lived and died with every Bulls game, through the TV remote at the couch, intending to hit the soft part of the couch, but inadvertently hit the very hard arm of the couch and shattered the remote. Oh no! At this point, I had to go wake up my mom and admit to this transgression. Uh, she was none too pleased, understandably. I will let her fact check me on the exact timing of this moment, but I know for a fact that I broke a remote and woke up my mom to tell her about it. And I actually hadn't even planned on talking about this, but it's just come into my brain as I'm sharing this story. I I, <laughs> I also broke a plate glass window with a basketball in our home in Illinois. <laughs> and it was a situation where I kept shooting from the bottom of the driveway in the direction of the house. And my mom kept saying like, the ball keeps getting close to the window. Do not break that window. And I didn't listen. And I kept shooting from that spot. And at one point the ball bounced up there and shattered a full glass window. Damn. And I had to pay for it uh, with whatever allowance that I had at that time. And it was uh, as shattering to me as the ball was to that glass. <laughs> Oh, uh, man. I've done a similar thing with the remote. Uh, a girlfriend cheated on me in high school, and I was so mad when I found out that I took my cell phone and I tried to chuck it at a chair in my room, like a reading chair, and I missed, and it just went straight into the drywall. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so we've all been there. <laughs> okay, so the second best Mike Schubert moment is uh, what I would call, if they'd made a documentary about me, it would be the foul shot game. So there was a time, I think this was a summer in between school seasons game where I was still playing with my basketball team. I think it was between freshman and sophomore year. And we had to drive pretty far for this game. We were playing, I think, in Galveston, Texas, which is like a shitty beach in Texas. Spring break Galveston, baby. Ugh, it's, it, Galveston is so bad. It is so bad. The water is brown. It's disgusting. So we were playing a team. I don't even know if they were associated with a school or if they were a travel team. I just remember that their jersey said that they were the dogs, D-A-W-G-Z. So you know, like, they were legit. <laughs> and we were playing, and they had, like, a decent amount of fans there. And I remember when we were warming up, I was still short at this time. This was pre-growth spurt Mike Schubert. So I was five foot two, so small that when I took foul shots, I would jump on my foul shots, which when you're big enough, usually people don't jump on their free throws. But I was so tiny that I would jump on them. And I remember that I was practicing my foul shots before the game and there were two kids on the bleachers that were rooting for the other team making fun of me um I will say that they said, uh, look at this man jumping on his free throws, but they did not say the word man. It's a word that I should not say, uh, but that should put it into context of what they called me. And uh, I just brushed it off. But then the game actually started. And for whatever reason, this team got into the foul bonus really quickly. If you do a certain amount of fouls in a certain amount of time, uh, like 5,000 a quarter, any foul at all becomes a shooting foul, whether it was a reach-in foul or a blocking foul, like even things that weren't shots. They just kept fouling me, the point guard of the team, with little ticky-tack things like reaching fouls and stuff. So I ended up shooting a lot of free throws that game. And every time I was shooting free throws, those two kids on the bleachers 
were making fun of me for it because I was the man that was jumping on his free throws, but I kept making them. I think at one point I had made like six in a row. And then eventually the players started trash talking me during the foul shots. So I was like at the line and there were guys on the side saying like, miss it, white boy, miss it. Missed the foul shot. Like, you ain't gonna make this. Like, they're talking trash to me. And I made the first one. And then I was dribbling for the second one. And this guy, again, was saying, like, miss it, white boy, miss it. And I turned to him. And then I said, and I just went, no. And then I looked back at the rim and, like, shot the free throw. And then started backpedaling immediately. And then the only thought of my brain was, please go in. Holy God. Like, if that doesn't go in. If you had airballed that free throw, you never would have recovered. Oh, it would have been terrible. But I swished it. And it was great. So I think I ended up scoring like 12 points in that game 10 of which were from free throws it was very strange <laughs> you did the Steph Curry where you shot and then just turned and ran away pretty much like the the least cool version of that but uh yeah that was a, it was a nice moment for me <laughs> good for you that's a, that's a fun memory uh all right my number one most embarrassing basketball memory should come as no surprise to our listeners because I have mentioned this on the podcast this is a <laughs> this is a collective memory from seventh grade through my senior year of high school six full seasons I played Catholic youth organization basketball for St. Joe's <laughs> in New Jersey and during that time we won exactly one game <laughs> I don't know our exact record but I would say that we played around 15 games per season so let's just go ahead and call it one in 89 uh <laughs> Honestly, we might have lost more games than that. Uh, and to be clear, these were not close losses. We, If we lost by less than 20, we considered it a moral victory. And uh, that is far and away the most embarrassing basketball <laughs> thing that I've been a part of in my life. Mm, I feel you. I feel you. So my proudest moment, again, if there was a documentary about my career, this would be the haircut game. This was another summer game. This was between my sophomore and my junior year. And I was in a summer league situation. And I remember being upset because there were like two summer teams for my year, like for people that were going to be on the JV team. And I was on the lesser of the two teams. So I was already upset about just playing these games in general. But this was in the phase where I had like my Bieber style haircut. Mm -hmm. Like I had a pretty bad bowl cut. I remember it well. That's how I remember you when I first met you. Hi, <sighs> what a bad situation. And I was very particular about my hair because I thought it looked worse somehow. I thought it looked worse right after it got cut, whereas after it would grow in a little bit, it would look a little bit better. So I remember never liking getting my hair cut before any time I was going to see people. I wanted to have like a nice buffer of a couple days. No, I get that. I kind of, I, I still feel like that. I feel like you need to like give it a day or two for a haircut to really look yeah. good. I remember the first time I met Mike at tennis camp, he he appeared on the court and there was just magically in the air, it just went, oh, oh. <laughs> That was me playing it on my iPhone because <laughs> baby's a quality jam. Uh, of me acting like I had an iPhone in whatever, the, <laughs> whatever year that was. <laughs> you playing like a, a MIDI ringtone on your LG chocolate. On your, on your razor. <laughs> I don't think I even had a cell phone. <laughs> so I remember having an argument with my dad about when I was going to get a haircut because I didn't want to get one. And I had a basketball game coming up that day that we were arguing about it. And he said, okay, if you score more than 10 points, which was like not normal for me playing basketball, it's much more of an assist guy. He was like, if you score 10 points or more in tonight's game, you don't have to get a haircut. 
And I was like, all right, deal. And I knew, I was like, all right, I'm probably not going to score 10 points, but like, this will be fun if I happen to do it. So we were playing St. John's, which was a very nerdy school in Texas. Fun fact, I think this is where, I think this is where Ted Cruz's kids go. So that's oh very fun because they're going to get bullied relentlessly for the whole Ted Cruz situation. Uh, fuck Ted Cruz. Anyway, so we were playing them. They were not very good at basketball. They had decided that they were going to play a 2-3 zone on defense, which is where you have two players at the top, usually like the foul line elbow portions, and then three players closer to the basket in the back. This defense is basically predicated on forcing the other team to shoot a lot of three-pointers. The problem with their 2-3 zone that they were doing is that they weren't even coming close to the three-point line. So me as the point guard, I basically had a game where I would just dribble up, and then they wouldn't be guarding me, and I would shoot a three, and I would just make a good percentage of them. And I was not a three-point shooter by any means, but they were leaving me so ridiculously open that I just kept shooting threes. And then eventually it got to a point where they started like guarding me very heavily. So then I just started passing to my wide open teammates under the basket. And they just alternated between either guarding me way too intensely or guarding my teammates who were cutting to the basket way too intensely. And uh, I ended up with my career high of 17 points. I had a bunch of assists too. I don't remember like what my stats were and they weren't keeping stats in this game because it wasn't like an actually official school game. It was a summer league thing. But I didn't realize how many I was scoring until afterwards when my old coach from my freshman year team was like, hey, you were playing incredibly. Like, did you realize how many points you had? And I was like, I don't know, like 14 or something. And that's when he told me that I had scored 17 points and the other team had scored 18 points. And had I known that I was at 17, I would have been such a selfish person just to try to score one more basket because being able to say that I once outscored a team in a full game would have been incredible. But we ended up winning like, 40 something to 18 and I had my career high of points in a game and I didn't have to get a haircut. Big win for Mike Schubert. That's so funny. I, I love the bargain that your dad made with you and it's funny to imagine that you ordinarily were like a very unselfish player and then this game you're just jacking up every single shot every time you touch the ball because like I don't want a haircut. I don't want a haircut. <laughs> I honestly remember feeling bad about shooting them but they were just leaving me so open that it was the correct play to make and I was making them so I just kept doing it. I definitely kept track of if I scored 10 points or not, but once I hit 10, I, I, I lost track. Was your dad at the game and were you like looking into the sands? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I remember like laughing at him once I hit 10 and then afterwards me and him just cracking up about it. He was like, all right, hot shot. Like I said, 10, I should have set the wager higher. That's really funny. And then he was joking that he should have wagered a haircut for every single game that I played because clearly I'm at my best when I don't want to look bad in <laughs> high school. Oh man, that's great. Oh gosh. So with that three-on-three -three draft wrapped up, we can now move on to a very special interview that you helped organize, Adam. You got in touch with uh, a beat reporter. You want to give us a bit of a preamble into this interview? I did, yeah. So it's kind of a strange and random connection, but I am friends with a guy who is a filmmaker and also a big basketball fan named uh, Bobby Friedman, and he connected me with a friend of his who he met through his work at Fansided uh, named Gerald Bourget, uh, who is now working as a beat reporter for the Phoenix Suns. Mike and I talked to him. It was a super fun interview. Uh, I think you folks are really going to enjoy it, and we will cut to that right now. So folks, as we alluded to, we have a very special guest with us today. He is the NBA editor at Fansided. He also hosts the Valley of the Suns podcast. Welcome, uh, Gerald Bourget. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. How about you guys? 
We're doing, doing all right. Well. We're doing all right. I uh, appreciate you taking the time on a Suns game day, no less. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad to be on the show. We're very happy to have you. We're excited to have you. I find the Suns to be a very interesting team. So before we get into questions about it, though, what is, just for the listener's understanding, what is your backstory with getting into writing for the Suns and and what is your capacity of covering them now? How involved in in being a reporter for them are you? Yeah, so I mean, I uh, went to college out here at ASU and graduated in 2013. And I started writing for uh, just kind of an NBA blog in my last semester at college just to get some experience. And uh, after I graduated, my you know, day-to-day job kind of fell through. The whole company I worked for fell through. So Ooh. I decided to dive into NBA coverage full-time. And they put me in charge over at this fan-sided network that I work for. They put me in charge of their Phoenix Suns website in 2015. So, you know, I had the opportunity to earn media credentials and cover the team in person. So that was really cool for a guy that was, you know, two years out of college and trying to make this his full-time thing. And I've been covering them with fan-sided in some capacity, whether that's Valley of the Suns, Hoops Habit, or now the general fan-sided site since 2015 and just started the podcast a couple weeks ago, actually. So doing a lot of Suns stuff and have been doing it for about six years now. That's great. And now, did you grow up in Arizona? Like as a kid, did you grow up a Suns fan? So I, I grew up liking the Suns because of Steve Nash. Smart. Yeah. Steve Nash made it hard to not like the Suns back in the day. But yeah, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico and came out here to ASU. And it was just kind of a, a natural thing to want to cover the Suns, especially in Nash's like final playoff run or whatever. Definitely. I was a huge fan of the Suns in the mid 2000s because I'm a Knicks fan and that's when the Knicks started really getting pretty bad. So I was starting to look for like, (laughs) what's a team that isn't depressing? (laughs) And I thought that the combination of Steve Nash plus the Suns uniforms was was a big plus. And they shot all those three pointers. And at that time I was like, this is cool. They shoot a lot of threes. (laughs) So uh, as a teenager, I was very, very into the Suns in the mid to late 2000s. And that book, Seven Seconds or less is just perfect. I, I've read that one recently and love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm a Bulls fan, but given that you graduated college in 2013, I don't I don't think you're quite old enough to harbor ill will against the Bulls from 1993, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, maybe two-year-old Gerald still holds some grudges, but I, don't, <laughs> I, I think he's past it. <laughs> two-year-old uh, Gerald thought of Charles Barkley as a role model, and that was not the right move, but... <laughs> no, no, not the right move at all. <laughs> so as far as just being a reporter in this very strange season. Like you said, you go from covering the Suns in person to now all Zoom stuff and and all remote. From my understanding, it feels like after the games, people just have big Zoom calls with NBA players, and then you get your turn to ask a question. Are you involved in doing that? How does that all work? How different is it to go from what you've been so used to for so many years to a digital version. Yeah, I, I imagine credentials now only get you a Zoom password. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, we we do get there's they've really cut down on the number of media credentials for home games, but we do still get to go to the game. But all the interviews and everything are still done virtually. Like we don't come okay. anywhere near even the court anymore. We used to be able to go on the court, take pictures, go in the locker room, talk to guys before games. But now it's all the interview stuff, any interactions with players or coaches that's all through Zoom. So I'm still going to home games, which is for, you know, like trying to catch bench reactions, atmosphere, that type of stuff, just to see the new arena because the Suns renovated their arena recently. But it is very different. It's kind of cool because it's very organized as far as like being able to raise your hand and have your question taken in order and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of nice. But you don't get that 
human element of like, you know, studying someone's body language in person or going up to whichever guy in the locker room you feel like talking to. So it, it's very different in a couple of regards. There are some definite pros and cons, but um, it is a little weird to be doing all of this through Zoom and, and virtually now. As far as being in the arenas for the games, because I know not every arena is allowing it, mm. what is the different protocols? What is it like to go to an NBA game where there's only a certain amount of people allowed? I'm assuming people ha are sitting very far away from each other. How different yeah. is that experience? It's been weird. It is weird because, I mean, the fans are all spread out. It, it has been nice, and I almost want to say eerie to have fans back in the building again because we kind of got yeah. used to watching games without them for so long. Like our protocols for showing up to games, we have to fill out this employee questionnaire before every game. Like, you know, have you felt any symptoms? Have you been in contact with anyone who's had COVID? Just things like that. And as long as you get the green check mark from the questionnaire, you're good to go. They take your temperature when you get to the arena through your forehead and they scan your bags and everything. So it's pretty thorough as far as making sure everyone that's coming into the building is uh, healthy or not showing any signs or symptoms of COVID. You know, masks on the whole time, obviously. Our media row is a lot more spaced out. We used to be kind of crammed together in there. Um, mm -hmm. But now there's a good six to eight feet apart between everyone because they've cut down on the number of people. It's a weird experience. Like normally we would eat our food in between pregame interviews and the start of the game. Uh, we still do that, but now you have to do it outside at these socially distanced tables. So it's... Uh, all very <laughs> conscious of <laughs> the pandemic that's going on. It makes for a kind of lonely experience because even though you're sitting sort of next to somebody, you know, if you want to talk to them, you're basically yelling into your mask the whole time. <laughs> so, uh, and I do miss that because there are a lot of good people in the Suns media room that, you know, I've become friends with over the years. So that's a little bit different, but it's, it is nice to be able to have some sense of normalcy going to games again and covering them in some capacity. Totally. And I know, uh, obviously, you know, the Suns were not in the bubble for super long, but they certainly made an impact in terms of how they played there. Did you get to experience the bubble at all? I did not. I mean, I could have applied for credentials. I'm sure it would have been very limited. I don't know if I would have made the cut, to be perfectly honest. You know, that's a whole rigorous process, and that's three months of just being by yourself in a bubble. But no, I didn't get to experience it. I was on all the, you know, Zoom stuff for games and, and shoot arounds and whatnot. But it would have been fun to go, especially because the Suns wound up being so good in the bubble. Yeah. I was more on the paranoid side of things at that stage of the pandemic, I think. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, yeah. I, it wouldn't hurt people to still be a little more paranoid, I think. Yeah, largely. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Final question that I had about Zoom stuff. I've been very much enjoying on Twitter seeing people like mess up Zoom backgrounds and names and all kind of stuff like that. <laughs> Have there been any ridiculously embarrassing things like someone's background is a picture of their dog or like anything. Someone can't change their name from like their wife's name or something. <laughs> the only one that comes to mind is probably me, honestly. And it wasn't a big <laughs> thing. It was. Uh... Did you turn into a cat? Be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that video was great. So I don't always turn the video on when I'm on these sessions, you know, cause sometimes just chilling on the couch in like a tank top. I don't really want to portray that image to the world, but <laughs> When I first set up Zoom at the start of this pandemic, I just set it up as my Facebook profile picture. And it's just like a picture of me smiling in like a tank top with a beer, like by the pool in our backyard, you know, total Facebook non-professional picture. I didn't realize that it was going to keep importing that picture if I don't turn my camera on. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so like the first time I joined on, it's just like a picture of me smiling by the pool that like 
pops up on this center stage for everyone to see. And I'm just like, uh, okay, I'm definitely gonna have to change that tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's very fun. So going away from the transition of reporting to now 2021 strange reporting for the sun specifically they've also gone under a big transition from a serious aspect they've brought in chris paul and that's a whole nother issue but from a non-serious aspect i'm intrigued by the fact that they were rebranding all about being the valley and the valley boys and then they traded (laughs) kelly Oubre like three days later do you have any sort of insight into the drama behind photo shoot with kelly Oubre, and then three days later (laughs) kelly Oubre has been traded to the golden state warriors yeah i mean i i know the people that were involved in the photo shoot and like setting that whole thing up and you know a lot of this was kelly Oubre's idea as far as the uniforms rebranding and that whole photo shoot you know like him just walking with a horse in his valley (laughs) jersey like classic photo but it was very weird because it was like two or three days after those images came up and the whole you know valley jerseys were announced that he got traded and i know Ubre was a very sensitive guy like he cared a lot about this city about the fan base about being a part of this team in particular he loved his teammates and being with so many other young guys that were on the rise like him. So I know that it it probably hurt him to be traded in that way, especially after he was such a big part of the culture kind of shifting. Because, you know, since Steve Nash, the Suns have had one winning season and they missed the playoffs that season. So Jeez. it's been pretty miserable around here. And Ubre, Ricky Rubio, another guy who went out in the trade, they were both huge in changing the trajectory and making this team fun and making you know, the Valley Boys culture a thing. So I know that it hurt him to be traded away. I'm glad that he wound up on a more competitive team like the Warriors, because if he had to just kind of languish away with the Thunder, I would have felt really bad. (laughs) But yeah, I I feel like that was just really poor timing. Could not have gone worse in that regard, because then you got people posting images, because he's like leading this horse out of town, basically. (laughs) It went from being a really cool Valley Boys shoot to being like, the poster image for Kelly Oubre getting dumped to the thunder. <laughs> yeah, it's a very easily memeable image. Yeah, it really was. And just like instantly too, I felt bad for him. He's doing better with the Warriors now. I, I feel like the first few weeks were very rough for him, but he's he's doing better now and I'm happy for him at least. Yeah, that's nice. So in terms of the, the Suns and how they've played this year, it's been kind of interesting because obviously like they start out hot, they're five and one, then they kind of like scuffle for a bit. They I think they went down mm-hmm. to eight and eight and now they've won 11 of 13. So like as somebody who's with them all the time, what version of them is most representative of who they <laughs> actually are? Like, do you think that they are a 19 and 10 caliber team? Are they, Like what is their ceiling in your mind? I honestly do think they could be a dark horse contender this year. And maybe it's because I'm very close to the situation, but when they fell to 8-8, eight and eight, it kind of felt like the sky was falling here a little bit, especially because of the way that they were losing games. Like, they were going up big on pretty crappy teams and then letting them back in it. And, I mean, they lost, like, a 23-point lead to the Detroit Pistons, who have one yeah. of the worst records in the NBA. They've done that multiple times. I think they just did it a couple of games ago to the Nets, who were playing without uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That is my one concern for them, is they do build leads and they lose them sometimes. But that, I think that just kind of comes with the territory of being a young team that has a lot of new guys in place and are, you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are still trying to learn to play together. But I really do think that they are closer to the team that's won 11 of the last 13 games. Their record could be a lot better than it currently is if they hadn't lost games that they had like, you know, a 90% probability to win. And they have like four or five losses in that category. So 
I think once they learn to sustain leads, which is something young teams have to do all the time, they're going to be pretty close to contender. Do I have them knocking off the Clippers or the Lakers in a seven-game series? Probably not. But I feel like they could give teams a more difficult time, especially if their three-point shot is is falling, because they do have a lot of good shooters on this team. You mentioned the culture, you mentioned the young guys, and, and also Chris Paul. A big thing that media heads like to talk about when teams are trading for these veteran players is you know their presence, their leadership, these intangibles like go beyond their on-court production. Mm-hmm. For you, since you've covered the team before and now during the Chris Paul era, is there a noticeable change in the attitude of some of those younger guys like DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker? Like, Can you sense a difference in how the team feels now that they've brought in veterans like Chris Paul and Jay Crowder? Absolutely. I, I think the culture shift started last year with guys like Rubio um, and Aaron Baines. They helped kind of set the tone. But, you know, having a pros pro like Chris Paul and having a guy who's just coming off a finals run with Jay Crowder, guys who have been around, guys who are tough on the court and off the court, just mentally, that has made a huge difference. And and you can just hear it in the way even a guy like DeAndre Ayton talks. Like Devin Booker's always been very professional. He rarely says the wrong thing. But DeAndre Ayton kind of had a penchant for saying the wrong thing for the first one or two years of his career. And he would always, you know, speak in just hyperbolic language all the time. He'd say things that are just off the wall. Now he's much more grounded. He's much more focused. He understands what the Suns need from him. And and just little things like that show up in all of these young guys' interviews. You know, they're very composed. They're very, they're all on the same page. Like they all say the same things now. It's kind of eerie how much everybody knows their job, knows their role, and is trying to be a star in their role. So it's very cool to see that shift because for a long time we were dealing with you know, guys like Markeith and Marcus Morris, who are complaining about their own fans after games, just a lot of unprofessional dealings on the sidelines. So this is a huge shift and it's been a long time coming, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are, remember, you are talking to a Bulls and Knicks fan. So we, we've also experienced some, some yes. rough years. <laughs> yeah. of late. Well, I mean, something that all of our teams have in common is that, I mean, especially for the Knicks, you have an owner that people think is doing terrible things to the organization. And for years, that's been the situation with the Suns that Robert Sarver seems mm-hmm. to be this sour personality that no one likes to work under or play for, etc. Do you think that is also part of the culture change, whether it's him being better or him being less involved, like the Knicks have just kind of hired people in between right. Dolan and everyone else so that he just can't do as much because there's more executives <laughs> in the way? Right. Is the Suns culture changing in that area as well, too? I think so, a little bit. I, I think... A few years ago, Sarver had said he was going to be more hands-off and let uh, the general manager at the time, Ryan McDonough, do his job, but McDonough was not doing a very good job, so he got more involved again. So far, James Jones is doing a good job. You know, he's only been at the helm officially for a year and a half now, and I feel like Sarver has not interjected into his dealings as much. Um, So that's a good sign. My question is, as Chris Paul gets older, because he's 36, so what happens when Chris Paul is on the downturn and the Suns need a new point guard to keep this newfound trajectory going? Is he going to get more involved at that point? I think for now, he, you know, he's kept his distance. They've done a good job. Um, you know, not as much as the Knicks as far as like having a buffer between them and the owner <laughs> with all these different positions, but James Jones kind of commands respect and he's done a great job of turning a rebuilding roster into a playoff ready roster in like 
a year. So I, I think that's made a difference and, and Sarver's been more hands-off, which is a good sign, but we'll see how that goes, especially as the Suns become a more more of a mainstay in the playoff picture moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the answer to what do you do when Chris Paul gets older is you just replace him with the guy who plays Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. New Chris Paul, baby. Yes, I, I can't <laughs> wait till we get our first Devin Booker State Farm commercial. It's got to happen sometime. Oh, true, true. It must be on the way. Um, so looking at the All-Star game, I, I, I guess I have a couple questions. One is, as someone who works in the NBA and closely with the team, do you think it's even a good idea to have one? And then a follow-up is, which sons do you think will be on that team? Yeah. Assuming the game happens. <laughs> yeah. First one, I don't think it's a good idea. I think they have a lot of encouraging protocols in place to make sure everyone's safe. But I mean, there's a decent chance this turns into a super spreader event because, you know, you gather 24 of the world's best basketball players in Atlanta and tell them not to go out or not to do anything. That's hard to enforce, especially for an event that's usually, you know, a happy one where guys are celebrating and taking a load off, you know, kind of just mentally, that's hard. That's a hard ask, especially, you know, the way they're cramming every all-star event into one day. Mm -hmm. You know, they've, I, I forgot if it's the slam dunk contest that's during halftime or which one that's it is. That's what they're but, thinking of doing, dunk contest yeah, at halftime. And three-point contest beforehand, I think, which is, you know, it, it is what it is, but I don't think it's a good idea personally. Um, and I, I just, <laughs> I don't even care about the game. I just hope everyone stays COVID free afterwards. Yeah. Um, as far as the Suns are concerned, I think it's tough because both Devin Booker and Chris Paul are deserving. Uh, you can make a case for both of them. I think Chris Paul has probably been the Suns' best player to this point in the season. But again, it's kind of dumb that we're doing all-star selections when most teams have barely played 30 games in a 72-game yeah. season. Right. Like, it's a, it's a very <laughs> small sample size. I think by the end of the year, Devin Booker will have earned his kind of all-star recognition if he gets it, just because he got off to kind of a slow start getting used to playing with Chris Paul. I, I think Booker will make it just because the head coaches vote on the reserves. Devin Booker is kind of the face of the franchise. He's the guy that other teams game plan for. So I think the coaches will vote him in. Chris Paul is a little bit dicier, and it would kind of come down to those two wild card spots. I, I think they'll get one player in. And I think it'll be Booker. I think Chris Paul will just miss the cut. Hopefully they get both in, but I think it'll just be Booker. Well, if you talk to DeAndre Ayton anytime soon, you can let him know that he's been a real uh, all-star on my fantasy team. Yeah. Really consistent double-double <laughs> guy. I really appreciate it. So well, That's good. And that's good to hear because his numbers are actually down from last year as far as like the scoring and whatnot. But uh, I feel like he's at like a 15 and 12, something like that. Yeah, not bad. Not shabby. <laughs> Speaking of DeAndre Ayton, there's a story from 2018 that I see pop up on NBA Twitter a lot every time DeAndre Ayton has a bad game where he joked about having like multiple personalities and doing these different character voices. Yeah. Is that something that is still persisted or is Chris Paul walked in and said, cut that out? Yeah, it's not the multiple personalities thing. That kind of died some point in his rookie year, I think, or at least died down. When he's with us, at least on the Zoom calls, it's very focused, locked in. A lot of the fun-loving stuff that he kind of came into the league being known for, he was kind of known as like a goofball. He's kind of like a big man-child, like, you know, loves to play his video games, has all these off-the-wall characters that he creates for himself. But he's a lot more professional with us now. I think the 25-game suspension last year for mm -hmm. the diuretics, that 
really kind of brought him back down to earth as far as like, you've got to handle your business in this league. Like you cannot let your team down in that way. You have to be focused. You have to be locked in. You have to act like a professional now, you know, which is hard because he's still a 21 year old kid or he was at the time, but uh, he's a lot more locked in and and that kind of stuff has sort of fallen by the wayside, thankfully. For people listening that might not understand, the diuretics was like, it was thought that he might be taking performance-enhancing drugs and thus was taking diuretics to flush those out of test results. Mm-hmm. That's basically what the suspension came down to? Yeah, that's what it was. Okay, cool. Just in case anyone at home was listening, it was like, wait a second, he got, yeah. <laughs> did he get suspended <laughs> for taking laxatives? That feels unfair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a character that we love to talk about on Horse, we do a lot of history talk here of the NBA. And one of the most iconic Phoenix Suns is Charles Barkley, but he has a bit of a struggling relationship with the Suns franchise Mm -hmm. currently. He will make fun of them often on NBA and TNT. It feels like there's some bad blood there. Is there any hope of trying to welcome him more into the mix? I don't really know what the start of the beef is, but it feels like Barkley and the Suns are kind of butting heads a little bit. Is is there any effort to try to reconcile that and make things simpatico? Probably not on the Suns part, but I feel like it's tough because, you know, the guy is on national TV two or three times a week to talk about basketball. And for the last 10 years, the Suns have not really been worth talking about. So I I feel like Barkley is just very real as far as if a team is bad or if he thinks a player is bad, he's going to let you know. Past relationships be damned. I feel like that's probably part of it. I think now that the Suns are good again, and once he starts you know, watching more Suns basketball and and talking about that team again. I feel like it's going to be more natural to have a positive relationship. And no basketball team in the NBA, once they're on the rise, is going to turn down endorsements or positive quotes from a former player, especially one who won an MVP and took them to their last finals appearance. So once Barkley starts saying positive things about the Suns, because they're actually worth saying positive things about, I think that relationship is just going to naturally be repaired. Because he's said all along, he loves the fans in Phoenix. He thinks they're the best fans in the NBA. He loved playing for the Suns and his time in the Valley. I think it's just one of those things where, you know, if the team is bad, he's going to tell you the team is bad. And once they're good again, it'll feel more natural to kind of mend those bridges a little bit. I mean, given that they are good again, and and I think from what we've heard from you, like you are buying into them being a a legitimate contender or certainly somebody who can make some noise. Mm. Do you think in leading up to the trade deadline, do you anticipate any moves being made? Are there certain guys who you think would be like a perfect fit that they might go after? Yeah, you know, the name John Collins comes up a lot, but I don't know if the Suns would want to give up what it would take for the Hawks to let him go. And then they would have to deal with his restricted free agency this upcoming offseason, I think. So I honestly think they're kind of set as is. I think they like their roster. They're two or three players deep at every position. I think if they were going to do something, they might, I mean, I would recommend at least cutting Damian Jones and finding a more quality third string big just in case because it it might not sound like a pressing need but like when Dario Saric was out for two three four weeks the Damian Jones minutes were very painful off the bench as far as a backup big yeah Yeah. and like Frank Kaminsky has played really well this season but he's going to get kind of tossed around on the interior by bigger guys so they need kind of an athletic strong rim protector in there just on the back line to have in case for the minutes when DeAndre Ayton is sitting out of the game but other than that they're happy with where their roster is at they've got a 19 and 10 record despite how many games they've let slip through their fingers you know as long as they can get their starting rotation worked out for the playoffs i think they like where they're sitting right now i mean if you guys want cristiano felicio you can just have him (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, poor Christian. As soon as that contract was signed, everyone was like, what are the Bulls doing? And it just hasn't gotten better with time. <laughs> it has not. It has not aged well. So tell us a little bit about uh, the podcast. I know you said you just started it recently. What is the goal? What kind of people are you interviewing? If you're doing that, are you doing it solo? Do you have you know somebody you're doing it with? Yeah. So it's. Uh, I would say it's mostly a solo show, but I have been inviting a lot of guests on recently. You know, people from the Suns media landscape. I've had a couple of people that are just because I do Suns talk, obviously, and then I also do entertainment stuff. So I talk about a movie or a TV show that's come out recently, you know, like the last couple episodes, we did Judas and the Black Messiah, which was really great movie if you guys haven't seen that. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of just whatever I feel like is pertinent on a week to week basis. I've had a lot of fun with it. I think we're only 10 episodes in. So it's still in its infancy. But very excited about it because I actually had never hosted a podcast until last year. So this is all kind of a new new territory for me, but I, I feel like I'm enjoying it. And it's always great just interacting with people from all over NBA Twitter, or from all over the basketball podcasting networks that are out there. So it's a good way to build connections. And, and I love talking basketball. So it just kind of feels like a natural fit, something to do in my spare time for sure. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on to talk basketball on horse. Uh, and I guess you've already hyped up the show. So if people want <laughs> to find the show, uh, where can they listen to it? Where can they find you on social media? All that good stuff. Yeah. So you can find the podcast on valleythesuns.com. We've also got a YouTube channel. You know, we're on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find it there. And then uh, you can follow me at Gerald Borgay on Twitter. I tweet everything out from there, all my son's observations, movie and TV recommendations, whatever, you know, NBA stuff. So feel free to follow me on there. And I can confirm that his Twitter thumbnail is not him by a pool. It's a, he's in a yes. suit. He looks very official. <laughs> it's much more professional <laughs> than, than the Zoom one. Uh, Gerald, thanks again for joining us, man. This was super fun. And uh, we look forward to uh, reading and, and listening to more of your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. This was a blast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Mike Schubert and Adam Amawala. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The music is by Bettina Campomanes. The art is by Allison Wakeman. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. And the website is by Kelly Schubert. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burridge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang! He sells seashells. Laurent James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacri, No Jazz, No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Anna Borgeli, Mitch Chrysler, Bang! Bang! And brown men can jump. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Uh, Horse Hoops wanted me to get a haircut and how dare they? How dare they indeed. Check out our website, horsehoops.com for links to some of the stuff we talked about today, including Draymond Green's interview and some fun Shams tweets. Mm -hmm. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, you will get some awesome bonus content from the audio five on fives that we announced to extra videos, some text things, a whole bunch of stuff. You can get merchandise, jerseys, stickers, a whole bunch of fun stuff at patreon.com slash horse hoops. And also thanks to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. A lot of fun podcasts there. And also uh, we've got merchandise. We've got new merch up. We have a new digital bundle with wallpapers that say sub nerds. It's basketball in the color combinations of every single team in the NBA. So no matter what team is your favorite, there is a sub nerds. It's basketball wallpaper for you. But there's also some fun audio ringtones. Adam and I did text alarm and ring tones. I'm so proud of this. Uh, Uh, Here's a little preview. Here's a little preview of some 
some of those, Adam's in particular. Mwah. You should probably look at your phone because you just got a text and it might be important. Sup, nerd? Your phone is ringing. You should pick it up. Someone's calling you. Who knows who it is? Maybe it's Shaquille O'Neal. Maybe it's Clay Thompson. Maybe he wants to talk about scaffolding. Pick it up. It's your phone. So you can check that out at multitude.productions slash merch. You'll see the horse merch and the merch for all the other shows on The Collective. But as we round out every episode, we're going to put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three. You know what? Actually, I don't I don't want to break protocol here, but I had an idea. Would you do me the honor of allowing me to put just my hand in the middle and surprising you with a little, little three, two, one? Yes, I'm very down. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Happy anniversary, Mike and Kelly. Oh, look at you. That's so sweet. Our episode is dropping on March 1st, which is essentially the one-year anniversary of Mike and Kelly getting married because they got married mm -hmm. on Leap Day, which is really cool. Uh, so happy anniversary. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. And happy anniversary to me uh, the last time I was on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> last time you were on a plane. Last time you wore a suit. Uh... The last time I was at a gathering. <laughs> <laughs> last time I saw more than four people at the same time. Man, you really got lucky. You got it in under the wire. Oh my goodness, we truly did. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.